Hi, I'm Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thusio. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast. We're bringing our past events back to life for you to enjoy. Zdeno Chara spent a staggering 22 seasons in the NHL as one of the greatest defenders in history. Chara played the majority of his career with the Boston Bruins, winning a Stanley Cup with them in 2011. He joined Thuzio Live and Unfiltered in February of this year to talk about winning that Stanley Cup, but also his upbringing in Czechoslovakia and how he fell in love with the sport of hockey, plus plenty of other NHL memories. Enjoy the interview. Let's go back to the beginning, though. Okay, 1977. Big Z was Little Z. Very Little Z. Am I going to say it right? Trenchin? Trenchin. Czechoslovakia. Not Slovakia, Czechoslovakia. So you're born, you're living there. It's, for people that don't have the, the map out, three hours or so southeast of Prague, maybe a little more? About four. About four, okay. What was that like growing up in that time? Different era, obviously, different type of uh, philosophy there. What was that like for you? Being born in Czechoslovakia, I had great uh, childhood. Um, just like any other kids, we we you know we spend a lot of time outside uh, playing, um, doing all sort of things, um, you know, making a lot of troubles and and, and just like you know, um, every parent would tell you like, oh my goodness, uh, he was such a sweet boy, but you know, it wasn't like that. So. Um, but not till later on, you when you grew up into teenage um, years, um, you, you start to understand what it was like to be under uh, the Soviet uh, regime. Not in, nothing against Russia, nothing against you know, what was happening politically, but it was just a different. It was just a, you had to follow some orders and some regulations. And for, for kids, it was kind of hard to understand that when you were going uh, to school, you had to take a bus. When you were on a bus, anytime some older person uh, came on, you had to give him the seat. That was just a rule, unwritten rule, but everybody went by it. You went in school, you had to um, uh, say every morning a um, certain way to greet a teachers. When teacher came into the class, you, you were not allowed to sit down before the teacher sat down. A lot of these things were kind of just a you know, rules. We were not able to chew gums. We had no gums, no jeans. Uh, were just the, uh, it was, everything was, uh, you know, not allowed because it was, you know, uh, what you call it, um, contraband. Or, you know, yeah. it was just, uh, it, was, it was not allowed. So, you know, imagine this. I, I was 18 years old and, and after the regime f fell, it was just a very shortly after, everybody had everything jeans. <laughs> it was like, and everybody chewed a gum, and then we were all watching these, um, you know, Rambos, and, and Bloodsport, and Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. It was, because we never see anything like it before. It was, it was amazing. So, it was one of those things. And obviously, uh, at, uh, you know, at age 18, I came over and, and, and just saw another, you know, level of, of living standards, it's, it was, it's been great, so, yeah. All right. You're the son of, a, of an Olympic Greco-Roman wrestler. First of all, how big, you, you have bigness in your family. You have, you have big father, the tall. Yeah. No, really, I mean, my dad is about 6'1", six, 6'2", six, very stocky, you know, like a typical Greco-Roman kind of a wrestling, um, you know, man, just very thick. 
my mom was about you know same six one six two, but I was very very average height, just like every other um, um, you know teammate. I play hockey with or classmate, and, and at age 14, 15, 16, I just start to grow like every year probably two inches, and I just yeah I don't know what what happened. <laughs> you got big. Um, what was it like training with your dad? Uh, we, we've talked a little bit in the past about it. He was very dis is very disciplined, or was about that too. And, and so, how did that help you as an athlete, as a hockey player? Well, yeah, I mean, my dad was the one who brought me to hockey. He came home one day, and then he said that um, basically asked me, "Hey, there is, a, uh, you know, there is opening a, a hockey academy. Uh, they were doing like recruiting um, young." boys to, to come and skate, so he asked me if I'm going to try it. It's like, yeah, sure, I want to go on skates, I want to see what it's like. I mean, on TV it looks fantastic, it looks easy. <laughs> and our neighbor, one kind of house over from where we lived, he was actually working uh, as a Zamboni driver. So my dad thought like, hey, I have this new pair of skates, uh, I'm going to run to the neighbor, he, you know, he's, he's going to open up the ring late, later, later that night, he opened up the ring for us, we went on, he put the skates on, I jump on the ice, try to skate, bam, <laughs> face down, knock my two teeth out, I was like, oh, this is great, this is hockey. <laughs> so, came home, my mom was looking at me all bloody, I was like, what happened? Was like, yeah, so... That was my very first time, like my experience uh, with with, uh, with the ice. But I don't know. It was something great about that. Um, I felt very connected, like the smell of the ice, that just the arena, uh, doing something different in the summer was, you know, like just a. I don't know. I fell in love with it. Even I started very late uh, compared to all of my uh, friends. How old were you? I was about six or seven when I started skating, and all my, you know. Friends, they were already like sting handling, shooting pucks, and I was going along the boards. <laughs> but my dad played a huge role because um, because he was a, a professional athlete. He he told me, listen, like don't worry about them, just worry about yourself, and you can catch up. But the only way you can catch up is by going extra, you know, like doing extra work and. And whatever you do, you have to do it without cheating, and, and you have to do it honestly. And, and don't worry, like, I'll put you on a, you know, different kind of, like, training and program, and, and you have to be very disciplined, but eventually the hard work will pay off. And for me, it took a long time, um, and it was extremely hard because all of my friends imagine that at age, I don't know, um, 11, 12, 13, all of my friends were, were, were going out, they were going play, they were, you know, going to parties, and, and we, we had actually a big house with a big yard, and it wasn't a farm, it was kind of like something between like a, you know, farm and big house, but uh, we had a lot of like these animals we had to take care of, like we had pigs, chickens, rabbits, all these uh, animals and because it was tough like we, we had to help out you know the family needed you know obviously uh, we were not like we were not poor but we were not wealthy we had to like live off the animals and um, so my dad said hey first you have to take care of the house uh, when I'm not home you have to take care of it uh, after that you have to train and after that you can go home 
Well, sure enough, there was no time to go out because by the time I was finished with feeding all the animals and getting, you know, watering the plants and tomatoes and potatoes and every all that stuff, and then after that I got in my basement and did a workout. Sure enough, it was so dark and and I was exhausted. So, give us a quick example. Just what kind of workout he would have you do? Like two or three exercises. You're known for your yeah. workout ability. So. Um, my dad was very creative and he, um, because we spent so much time outside and doing all these uh, things around uh, 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 plants, uh, he would build like, uh, uh, like a pull-up bar uh, on the trees, uh, on the tree branches, so I could, every time I walked by, I would just have to do pull-ups, I didn't have to run down in the basement and do pull-ups over there, so he would do like a pull-up bar, they would hit like, like a big round iron, um, uh, like a dip for dips for like yeah, push-up right. dips uh, around the, the, the trees. Uh, you know, he had me uh, carry like these buckets of water when I was watering the. <laughs> the, the, the yeah, the, it was just it was when I look back, I, it was like people who kind of walked by and see me, they were like, what's going on in here? But there was some extreme outdoor games or when you're kind of watching these, uh, the ninja, whatever, the ninja, whatever. The, ninja warrior. Yeah, ninja warrior. So I was kind of like one of those. I was all on the tree and doing dips and pull-ups and jumping. And, and, and so I was kind of like, while I was working, I was working out at the same time. You were but, multitasking. Yeah, but I mean, by the end of the day, you realize, okay, I did 100 pull-ups or, you know, 200 push-ups or... It was amazing because wow. by the end of the month, you add up, add up, it goes into power. So it's no big deal for this guy. The, the part of the bro usually, I don't know if you guys did it this year, the pull-up challenge. No, we didn't. No, we, we skipped the uh, testing. Okay, this guy owns the record. Um, Kevin Miller's getting, when I say pushing, I mean he came in and he started doing well. What is your record for the pull-ups that you did with the bro? Well, I have to be honest and truthful because I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm always hard. Uh, 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 two years ago, I did not win, or, or was it three years ago? We had uh, we had guys who did like over forty pull-ups. I was so proud. I mean, honestly, I was I was happy. I, I'm happy. I was kind of like I finished. I finished like third or fourth. Uh, somebody finished with forty-one. Somebody finished with forty, and I think I was. Uh, but they're not six nine two hundred and fifty something pounds. Yeah, a little and, and I had thirty-nine, and I was like, Ugh. I was like. But you know, like that's that's great because you know uh, when I came in in. Um, 2006, um, you know, I remember that in the first testing for first pull-ups, I, I knocked out like, I don't know, 35 pull-ups and the second best was like, I don't know, 11 or something. <laughs> and they were all looking at me like, wait a minute, so what's going on in here? So, but I'm glad because that's what you want. You want to see the improvement, the, you know, like the guys, everybody's pushing each other to be better. And, and in these days, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like nature of our team that the identity we have, we are probably one of the best fitted team in the NHL, so I'm very proud of that, and obviously it's uh, it's amazing. There's so much we could, we could literally talk for hours up here, but we got to motor through this. You come here in 2006, uh, drafted by the Islanders, played there a bit, go to Ottawa, play there a bit, you really start to really morph and come into an all-star defenseman. You sign a free agent deal with the Boston Bruins. What was that like for you? The first year you guys did not make the playoffs, but what, what do you, what, is there one thing that you can really look to in your first year about coming to Boston and what that you remember the most? Um, yeah, yes, and I'll go a little bit back to that whole process. Um, I finished in 2005 season with Ottawa and, and uh, 
became an unrestricted free agent and, and uh, it wasn't anything like in these days that you can go and interview with the teams like is it two, three days prior? To I think it's five days. Five you, days you can go to as many teams as you want. Yeah, and it's 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 great because it gives you such a huge advantage to see the city or, or facilities and, and um, uh, meeting with GMs and coaches and players. You can talk to anyone you want to kind of make a better decisions for yourself, for the future, for family, for kids. In '06. It was like, okay, at noon you're gonna become uh, an <laughs> unrestricted free agent and you're gonna have literally two minutes to decide based on phone calls. You are not allowed to visit the teams or, or cities or talking to anyone. It was, it was you know, it there's was speed the dating and then there's speed dating. Yes. It was, I was like this, I was like, how am I gonna make a decision? Like, it's not easy because obviously there's a, there was about 10, 12 teams really interested of me coming to, you know, to the, for the, playing for them. And you have like two minutes, literally, I'm not lying to you guys. Like it was like phone call of my, my agent's calling me, okay, we have, uh, I don't know, I'm just making it up. Okay, Toronto, Washington, Boston, New Rangers, uh, you know, they're giving you like a five-year deal. Uh, okay, LA, this and this, giving you a seven-year deal. You have to get back to me in like one minute. Because they need to know so they can move on and pursue another player, another free agent. And I'm sitting there with my wife on my bed, I'm like, where are we going? Like, I, I have no idea, like, what's going on? But I have to say, like, my agent was kind of ahead of the, you know, ahead of it. And he made me do a few charts and, and, and categories based on which I, I would kind of make a better decision. And Boston was one of the teams that I really wanted to go first, original six franchise. I knew I could have uh, that leadership role, and I saw huge potential uh, in that team. Even though we did not do well first year because all that, um, you know, personal, new personal coming, a lot of chances, GM, coaches, front office, uh, players, free agents, and it takes time to kind of find, you know, I remember we didn't have a, assistant coach or two assistant coaches still like a month before the season started it was it was just a, such a you know chaotic time and also so, it was a gong show at that time yeah it, 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 it was it was it well, happens yeah. in these businesses it, it, it does it's amazing happens. people yeah. get fired people get kind of like let go and then um i know peter coming in he was not allowed to do any negotiations right, right. because he was coming from ottawa so it was so many illegal and uh, you know it was just a bad thing like he couldn't negotiate but you saw and, but you saw potential i saw potential i believe it so much so that a couple of years later some good stuff started to happen what makes hockey unique and i think we're speaking the language that i think all you guys know is that hockey um has this thing called the stanley cup that is the hardest trophy to earn it is it's it's the most brutal wonderful violent uh, two months, I think, for a player to go through. Some players that I've known have literally lost upwards of 10 to 15 pounds during that time. They can't keep weight on because they are so, at that time, decimated by the competition and, and, and the weather's warmer outside, et cetera. But what also makes hockey unique, once the championship is awarded, so to speak, is they don't go to the owner, they don't go to the GM, they, don't go, they go to one person. Go to the captain of the team. And something happened in 2011 with that potential that you saw. Is it at that moment, I mean, who here plays floor hockey or did play floor hockey? My kid still does it and he pretends he wins it. You got to do it. 
Is it possible to have a rational thought at that moment? Can you, can you have any recollection about what you were thinking at that moment? Um, everything kind of uh, what I went through, um, some adversities and, and being cut by coaches and teams back home, kind of when, like, it was a split second, just went through, through my mind, honestly. And, and I wish I could take all of my teammates uh, to, to raise the cup because it's such a unique and uh, incredible moment that um, as an athlete we all dream of to, to hoist the, the most prestigious uh, trophy or, or winning an Olympic gold medal or whatever it might be, but or breaking a world record. Uh, so it's a feeling that, that it will be with you for the rest of your life. And I was such a lucky and you know to, to, to have that moment. Uh, so I'll be forever grateful. Did you ever get that hat back that fell off your head? I, somebody, I think, brought it to me later okay. on. Yeah, but I, honestly, I, 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 I cut my forehead with a <laughs> I didn't know, honestly, the first time ever, like, you know, touching it. You guys know that you're not supposed to touch it, you know, before you win it. So, never had a chance to kind of grab it or feel how heavy it was, and, and once I got it, and I didn't... When really, Gary was holding it, you're like, give it to me, give yeah. it to me, give it to me. But I didn't know how thick it was, and I, when I went down, I literally popped, like, ran my forehead, and like, I had, like, a big cut right here, so I was like, don't stitch it, like, I'm going to always remember that scar. Um, what was the party like after? What was the... What was the... the the moment in the room, I know, you know, I, I was actually fortunate. I was covering, I was there with the NHL Network on the ice with you guys. Amazing stuff. Um, by the way, just side note, I grew up a Bruins fan. Even though I'm from Chicago, I grew up a Bruins fan because my family's from Boston, or half my family. So to me, I'm there, and I'm supposed to be unbiased, and I was. I was the NHL Network, but you know what I was? And I was like, it, yes, you know, they won. So the, the fan, the hockey person to me, the hockey guy, I wish it could have been in there. Just the, uh, the fly of the wall. So take us inside. What was that like? Well, after, you know, we all got the chance to hoist the cup on the eyes and, you know, take pictures with families, with each other. Um, then we took it to the locker room and the locker room was already filled with all our families and friends. There was not much room you could, you could move. It was just, a, I don't know, the size of the locker room was probably like half of uh, where we're sitting. Mm -hmm. And imagine you have... I don't know, 150 people there. <laughs> it's just, and the Stanley, uh, the champagne is just, you know, spraying everywhere, beers, this, that, and everybody's trying to hug each other and, and, and hoist on the cup and pose for pictures. And, and you, 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 you are celebrating, you're enjoying, but you're feeling the exhaustion, like it's settling on you. It's slowly but surely, you're just kind of feeling like, you just kind of like you out of it, like you, your body, what you, what you almost were surreal. About, what you, what, yes, almost surreal. Like what you went through for you know six months prior to those two months. It's hard to kind of describe what kind of what it feels like, and, and to play every other day and at that level where everybody is giving everything at every shift, every game, regardless what it's. You know, like what? It's just it's incredible. Like, and then towards the end, you either have everything or you have nothing. And it's just a, I've been on both ends, and it's it's incredibly uh, uh, joyful or incredibly sad. What happened last? I don't remember. That was yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. How long did it take you? I know you've been asked this, but I'll try and ask it a little differently. Um, actually, I can't because there's no other way to ask it. How long did it take you, or have you gotten over what happened last year? 
you have to move on. I mean, at some point you've got to kind of look at uh, bigger things in your life and obviously for me it's my family, my children, my wife. Uh, but I was maybe more in extreme uh, uh, or, or more deeper um, in, uh, in those, uh, uh, I don't want to say depression, but it was, it was very, very hard because obviously I was dealing with uh, uh, post-season surgeries, uh, exhaustion, and, and, and on top of that, you kind of start to calculating. Okay, like in I don't know seven weeks, you're starting another season. And you're like, I'm I'm supposed to just recover like from surgeries uh, eight to twelve weeks, and he's, you're thinking, how am I gonna be able to you know start the season? And it's like you so you can't do anything. You can't do anything because of your lower body injury. You can't do anything because of your upper body injury. Your, your face is like under a second, you know, uh, surgery, you can chew, you cannot eat, you're just sitting there like, uh, you just feel like helpless. Like so it's just, and on top of that, your mind is like, okay, you lost the Stanley Cup Finals. Like, so it's, 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 it's not a good place. Speaking of, <laughs> I'm assuming everybody in this room remembers a moment that will go down in Boston and National Hockey League folklore, not even folklore, and, and, and reality. Is one of the great, you know, you got chills from the moment of 2011. After game four, when a puck just hit you, when I say the perfect, that's not a good, good way. It just did hit your stick in the worst slash most perfect place to carry perfectly again into a place where you don't get, I mean, you get hit in the face, but not like that often. He gets hit in the face. Jaw is a mess. How many, how many breaks? It was five different. Five, uh, only five, just five. Five different breaks. Um, game four, Stanley Cup. Is he going to play game five? And we were upstairs for that game doing our spot, and the place was shaking. What were you thinking at that moment? Um, I, I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest with you. I, were you in pain? Uh, obviously, I did. I was, um, but I was not thinking about being in pain. I was thinking about like, okay, I gotta get ready to play play this game because I know they're coming. I know they're coming, and they they see me obviously being banged up. So I was trying to you know keep it together. I was obviously aware of what was going on, and and I was kind of like I, I was so you know uh, grateful for that uh, welcoming and that reception, and it gave me a huge amount of energy. Uh, which I didn't have a lot left, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It was like only 30 some hours after the surgery. I was kind of literally standing on that blue line and thinking, all right, like I, I gotta play. I gotta, I gotta play the same way and, and just, just stay focused. And, and what did you eat? What, what did you been I able to eat? I didn't. It was nothing. Nothing. It was basically. I, I got a lot of IVs in me because it was just everything was liquids and and uh, I was not. Uh, a, I was not allowed to eat anything even after the Stanley Cup Finals for, I think I believe another six or seven weeks. I was not able to bite anything hard, so I was like not even like I asked if I can start eating. He's like, so when we went back on X. What was your first meal when you could finally eat? I, I could eat actually. I just had to literally chop it up in such a small pieces, like you almost be feeding your two-year-old. It was just literally like small, small pieces. I had, I was just basically you know moving back to 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 my throat, but. Um, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, it was hard, yeah, but it was something. I can't go a day without eating. But I knew that, listen, like, I knew that 
I want to have that feeling again. I, I, I really, I was, I was, I was okay with it. I know it sounds crazy, but I was okay. Like, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the situation. I know I'm putting a lot of, a lot of in my health on, online, but I wanted it. I wanted it again, but fortunately, yeah, it was just, um, yeah. So hard to get over for everybody. That's how passionate the fans are here, and all the Bruins fans around the world. I mean, the, we see how Bruins fans travel around North America, they're phenomenal. Um, one question about this year, just made some trades, Andre Kasha, Nick Ritchie, but more than that, you guys have had, I get asked this all the time, um, and anybody and everybody, a lot of people in here are hockey people, so you understand locker rooms can dictate an awful lot about what happens with your team. It has to be real, it can't be fake. It, you know, this Bruin team, I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds here, seems to me to be incredibly tight Real, no BS, a genuine, like you don't always get that at the NHL level. A lot of times it's 23 individual guys that you hope come together. This is as tight a team as I've been around in my time covering you guys. Do you feel good about this team heading now down the stretch into the playoffs? I do, I really do, and it takes time. Um, you know, we, we've been very fortunate. We, 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 we were able to keep about five or six of us from 2011. Mm -hmm. um, even before that, you know, Patrice obviously it's been 15 years. Um, then myself, Tuka, Brad, um, Craig, Craig. Yeah. Um, so we we had about four or five guys who who went through obviously what we went through uh, 2010, 11, 12, and uh, then we had some players who came in and stayed, and and now younger players came in and um, we try to always kind of uh, pass on what we feel is the right thing to do and how we should play and how we should be on and off the ice and, and represent the Bruins and, and play with a certain style and, and under the identity. And thankfully, like guys buying into it. And, and um, you know, it's, it's amazing when you have 23 people working as one and they all kind of support each other. It, it creates a huge amount of energy and, and uh, being connected and, and uh, uh, you know love each other it's it's actually your your second home it's your family and um, it's amazing when it, when it starts clicking and, and, and you take care of each other and really uh, respect each other and, and work really hard uh, to achieve the same goal uh, a few more things before we, we have a few little things to get to uh, one of the things about Z that is phenomenal six different languages Kind well, of? Yes, kind, no? Well, kind of. I, I, have to, I have to say, obviously, uh, I, I was born in, in Czechoslovakia. My dad was Czech, my mom is Slovak, so I speak Czech and Slovak. Uh, growing up under Russian regime, we all had to speak Russian. Regardless, you just had to learn Russian. But then, uh, when I uh, went to the high school, there was two options of foreign languages. I picked German and English. Then I went over, in 2004, I went to play in Sweden. I learned how to speak Swedish, but I forgot a lot, I have to admit. If you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, so, you know, those are, the, those are those things that if you... Did you realize something? You see, like, if, if you wanted to, you could chirp pretty much the entire league in any language on it. Thank God Brad Marchand does not know all these languages. He'd be suspicious forever. He's got the body language. He's got the body language. Six different languages. 
I know ho hum, another, you know, no big deal, like 1,500 gauge. You just do it. You just, right? It's very impressive. We could go on and on and on. We have so many things to get to. Um, we have some audience questions and that, that came in, and uh, we're going to do one of them. Uh, because we're running late. We have a lot. Uh, who's, who's, got, who's the lucky one? Well, here. Karen G., you have no doubt have been blessed with many memorable moments as a Boston Bruin. Is there one of your favorite Bruin stories that you can tell, I'm going to guess in addition to winning the cup, or, or something perhaps involving the cup? Um, yeah, I think that morning we had a brief meeting, uh, and the feeling at the breakfast was incredible. I think we were all looking at each other, and we just had that look, and everybody was like so, so happy. It's almost like we, we knew it was coming. It was amazing. I, I think nobody said a word about anything about Cub or nothing, not, not, not of that, but we were all in such a good place mentally and physically. Um, I don't know. It was just, I think it was just meant to be that we were just all waking up and we had that energy. We were sitting at the breakfast, we were relaxed, we were laughing, we were, we were focused, but we were loose. And it, to me, it was just a sign. We all like went back to the rooms, had a nap, and we all came to the to the um, uh, arena, and we were just getting ready for for the game. And it was just an incredible uh, amount of confidence and that balance between being nervous or calm. It was just we were right there, just it was perfect mindset. It was just like we were going to the game. It was just like it, it doesn't matter who was on the other side, honestly. It was like, you know. Well, I think I speak on behalf of the 150 or so people here. I would hope and I would give anything for you to have that same feeling again in a couple of months. With another cup. Renee O'Chara. One of the all-time great Boston Bruins. Future Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest Zdeno Chara. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like more information on how you can attend our live events or book our new virtual ones, visit Thuzio.com. That's T-H-U-Z-I-O.com. And make sure you follow us on social media at Thuzio.